Hello and welcome to We're Watching What? Or in the case of today, we're interviewing who? I'm your host Dana, or the DHK as I'm known, and my guest is Mike Rianda. He is the director of the new Netflix animated film, The Mitchells vs. the Machines. You may also know him from his work on Gravity Falls. The official description for The Mitchells vs. The Machines is when it comes to saving the world, they have no idea what they're doing, but they're a family and they're doing it together. And basically it centers around this family called The Mitchells and we are sort of seeing it through the lens of their daughter Katie, who is going off to college for the first time and her family decides to take her on a road trip to get there instead of, I don't know, flying. And then a technology apocalypse happens. The film stars Danny McBride, Abby Jacobson, Maya Rudolph, Eric Andre, Olivia Coleman, Fred Armisen, Beck Bennett, John Legend. And Chrissy Teigen, Blake Griffin, and Conan O'Brien, like who isn't in this film? It's available now on Netflix. And without further ado, here's we're interviewing who? I would love to start with logistically or emotionally. What was the most challenging scene to get right? Oh, that's a great question. I would say this one, I'll give a joke answer and a real answer. The joke answer is, and this isn't really a joke, but it was like, there's a moment where Linda, the mom, is, is sort of saying, there's all these bad pictures of us, and Rick saying, what about that one? And it's like a stock photo that comes with a frame, and she says, that could be We had a stock photo in there in all of our test screenings that got a gigantic laugh, and we could not find out where it was from. So and we found it, it was from New Zealand. So I, I called a private investigator in New Zealand, and I was like, we got to find this family. Here's the picture. Here's some money. Make it happen. And then like everyone in the production is like, don't do this, Mike. And I'm like, no, 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 no. We got to get, it gets a laugh, people. And then that guy was sort of slow. So I hired another one. That guy was slow. So I, I called someone and I found out this guy called the wolf. And then the wolf was like, all right. Okay. I found the studio. I found the photographer. I have not been able to find the family. And then just like cuts it. It was like this saga for like three weeks. And we eventually used a stock photo. <laughs> But at that point, you're so invested. You're like, I have to have that one. No, like, I've hired two New Zealand PIs. Partially, I'm telling the story because I want the people who are in the original photo to reveal themselves <laughs> for my own OCD. But the legit, for real, the, the one I think of is probably the uh, dinner table scene where Danny McBride is doing this like bit where Rick, the dad, is doing this bit where he's like, no eye contact, everyone stare at me, you know? And that that scene was always incredibly difficult because you had to balance Rick and Katie's point of views as being roughly equal. We found that if you if Rick was too unlikable in that moment or or that you didn't understand where he was coming from or his like point didn't make sense, the movie would kind of fall apart a little bit because you'd be like, screw this guy. Who cares? Leave for college. What 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 why even try to have a relationship with him? And if Katie wasn't sympathetic enough, you would have this, the, the movie would totally break. Like the movie would explode. P people would just like start falling asleep because you were just really need to be on her side. And, and balancing that while making it funny and while introducing the rest of the family was probably the hardest part. That's very fair. What do you think the biggest changes from the first version of the story that, I don't know if you either wrote it out or boarded it out to the one we see on screen is? You know, it's interesting. I was actually, because we were working on the movie for about, I would say two years before Chris Miller and Phil Lord, who are the executive producers came on. And they saw a version of the movie that they liked and they're like, oh, hey, let's, let's jump on board. And I recently, I wasn't watching it, but I was sort of just going through it. And all of the scenes are the same and in the same order. They're all just better. <laughs> it's wild. It's like, it's like, oh, that scene's always been in there. That scene's always been in there. That scene's always been in there. And it's just, 
the th- and, and I guess holistically, the biggest thing that changed was initially in, in that one that Chris and Phil first saw, the relationship between Rick and Katie was, it was just more contentious. Like the thing we, the, the big change we made over the whole course of the movie in a thousand little ways is how do you make sure that these people love each other, but are just missing each other? And I think ultimately that is the more relatable thing because it's like, even if you have a really bad relationship with your parents, there's some love there and you want to have a relationship. And if you portray that as being really harsh or just yelling at each other, people sort of are a little repellent to it, you know, uh, including, you know, just any viewer. So the biggest change was trying to make that big change. And also we had these side plots with Aaron and Linda, the son and mom. And ultimately, we realized that if those plots were pointed at the main story, if the son and the mom were rooting for them to get together, you cared about the whole story more and you cared about the family more. Because that is a thing in families where it's like, you know, you have the peacemaker and you have the two people that don't like each other and you're like trying to organize them and make sure nobody gets their feelings hurt and saying, hey, dad, that was a little harsh, right? And he's like, oh, whatever. So that was the biggest change, even though it's that's a lot. Yeah, everyone's able to be objective about everybody else but their own relationships. It's like, yeah, why are you not getting each other? (laughs) So actually, that leads me to, have you been able to successfully explain to your family how you make a living doing what you do yet? Has that been solved for you? Or are you still? The the nice thing about it is I think because because I at least co-wrote it, they understand that, you know? And then I think they kind of understand what directing is. I think the you get into trouble where like our head of story, Guillermo Martinez is like a total genius, but I think his mom thinks he like does advertising or something like, <laughs> cause it's like, it's like, it's like, so what, what do you do exactly? Yes. Yeah. Um, and I think that it's, it's, it's especially hard with like storyboarding or lighting or something. I always have to try to break it down into like, okay, so these people, they, they make little computer puppets basically, right? And then they take little lights and try to, <laughs> and then that like confuses them more. It's like, so you draw the movies. You draw the movies, that's what you do. You sit there and you draw the movies. Like that's yeah. what, I'm like, yep, that's what animators do. <laughs> well, and they're also, there's also a thing too, where it's like, well, it's all computers, right? I mean, you just- Yeah, the computer makes the movie. <laughs> press the, you just press the cartoon button on the movie. <laughs> yeah, the, the print, uh, ship, yeah. final, money, please. Those are all buttons. They're yeah. just industry secrets. You um, press them really hard for a long time. <laughs> yeah. Have you tried turning it off and on again? Um, <laughs> That's what ultimately um, fixed our last story problem. Yeah, that is true. Have you, I mean, this might be like too deep of a question, but has, has your family always been supportive of your career or was this something that like they, you know, now are on board with or what's your journey no, I mean, like? The, I would say the movie is a pretty accurate reflection of that. You know, like my parents were like very loving and, uh, you know, I could not ask for better parents, but they understandably were like, drawing huh ooh, ooh, ooh. and then they're like can I see what other kids are doing at your age? let's just do some compare and contrast here <laughs> yeah yeah I, I got the um because at one point in my life I was a teenage girl applying to film school and it was like so law school you want to go to med school law <laughs> yeah. school med school I think at one time I said law school and they're like we'll pay for anything you want like any school you want to go to so when, when did you realize that like animation could be a career like was there any one person here like oh wow that person's doing yeah, this for a living was, or was it just a gradual it's funny I mean it's not that it, this is also not that different from the movie is I sort of found a chat room it was like a Ren and Stimpy 
chat room. This doesn't sound sketchy at all. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> In the early days of the internet, especially, I'm betting. As we know now, but yeah. Um, um, but yeah, no, the um, it's terrible. But but basically, the um, there were some people on it that were actual cartoonists, and were very nice, and were like, oh, sure, I'll look at your drawings, and they just knowing that I was even close to communicating with someone who might be a cartoonist really opened that door for me. And and also just, you know, it's like a lot of people over the course of my career were very kind and were like, hey, here's a good school and this don't go here. This is a scam, you know, or whatever. And would like look at my drawings and be like, okay, well, this is good and try this and, and whatever. And they're really generous. So it was, it was basically like, I really did find my people through the internet, like through chat rooms and stuff. Because, you know, I loved all my friends at school and stuff, but n- no one else cared about no one else like had a bone deep, almost tragic love of cartoons. <laughs> like I did. Well, you found your people, so there was a happy ending, and so yes, yay. Exactly. We're gonna take a quick break and be right back. And we're back. What is the name of the first film you ever made? Not necessarily even like a school student okay. film, but like you know, I don't know if you were playing around on like a family camcorder or. Do no, you remember that question. name? I mean, it was probably my cousin and I, who I love. Uh, <laughs> made a series of uh, short film. It was like a TV show, but it was like made on a, you know, weird old camcorder. And it was called Winchell's The Series. And it followed the misadventures of people working at a donut shop. Uh, and I think we just thought it was funny because they worked there all night. And we're like, did they like sleep in the dough? What's happening? <laughs> but, you know, it's like as, a, as an adult, I'm like, oh, they're working people trying to make a living. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> As a 14-year-old, you're like, that's weird. Yeah. Um, so um, so yeah, basically that that it was probably that. And also I went to a religious uh, uh, like all boys high school, um, which is um, crazy. Um, <laughs> and I did a flash cartoon for a for one of my projects about someone who is possessed. And it was like called like the possession. It was like whatever the name of the parable was. And it was like, it was about it was like the possession of the domeniac or something. I don't know. It's insane. Yeah. So there you go. There's yeah. Mine. Love it. Love it. Okay. <laughs> this is going to be so such, it's, it's a tangent, but it's related. Have you ever seen Alex Hirsch's high school bird film? No. I mean, I know that he was on Letterman doing, yes. doing the bird call. Yeah. So I went to the same school as him. I'm oh, a couple really? of years younger. And I like, I think we, he won't know that, like, remember this because I was younger and, you know, he just did this whole Hitchcockian bird themed. I think he did it in Flash. I assume he did it in Flash. I want to say it's like a five minute short on his own. And I was just sitting there like, pardon my language, but fuck. <laughs> like, that's what I'm competing with in high school. Like, I'm never going to get into film school. Turns out he might have been the exception, not the rule in terms of who you're going yeah, to school with. But yeah, so so that was for me. I was like, can you do this for job money? <laughs> I've never I've never actually seen it we've talked about it before actually but oh um, it is it has been burned in my brain for you know 20 (laughs) however long years now because it was just gonna be pumped that it's yeah he'll be like what are you talking about yeah we had computers class together uh very odd and yeah but speaking of you know it sounds like even early you were maybe exploring episodic stuff with your early Mm -hmm. student you know not even student personal work what is the best part of making a feature versus the best part of working in tv it's interesting because they're kind of the they're kind of opposite best things. The the cool thing about TV is that it's so it's like you have an opportunity to learn on as you're doing it. You know, like 
we would make episodes and like just try our hardest and throw everything at it. And then we'd release it in the world. And sometimes, and it was so interesting and it was really fun and rewarding to find out what people liked and didn't like about them because we could then immediately take those insights and put them back into the show. Right. And, and there's a way to do that that's kind of gross where like the fans are dictating what the show is and we tried never to do that. But there were things where it's like, people love these types of stories, people don't love these types of stories. And it was so interesting to, to get that. And that hit of feedback was also so invigorating because when you were working on the show, it was, it's like, it's so, working in animation is like a joy in a lot of ways, but it's also very hard. So like when you're just struggling to, is this funny? I don't, or does any of this matter? And it's so nice to have people be like, yes, we love this. Or, you know, like, this is great, you know, less of this please, you know, or whatever. And then it's cool to sort of like get that energy and it really sort of helps power you. So that's like the best part about TV. I was gonna say, are you saying that artists enjoy validation? <laughs> yes, they do. Um, <laughs> but the best part about movies, I think, is is the ability to, you know, because that's why I wanted to do a movie. I always felt insane on Gravity Falls because it was like, I, they would always like rip it out of my dirty little well, dead hands. hands. Yeah, yeah. And I was always mad. And like every episode, I was like, this was terrible. But like uh, with the movie, you really get to really craft every single moment, you know. And even though it's it's harder and longer, you you get these world-class artists and we had world-class artists on Gravity Falls and Disney TV and stuff too, but there's like another level to it where, because in, in TV, we kind of found that however good the storyboards were, was like with the 5% this way or that way is like how good the show would be. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, it's pretty much like if the boards are playing, the show will play and right. you know, no amount of color that will fix it. But with the movie, it gets so much better as it goes through the pipeline because these amazing animators are adding all the subtlety and nuance to it, making it funnier and better. And every department is plussing it. And you get to sort of really adjust and turn those dials and stuff. So when the thing comes out, it's much more of a total expression of everything you were going for, as opposed to this is the best we had in two weeks. All right, we're doing another one, uh, which, was, which is a lot of fun, but both are good. Yeah, so when you're on a longer term project like the feature, like who do you turn to for feedback? I assume obviously the producers are, you know, helpful in that. But like, how was how was sort of the building the the feedback team for you? Yeah, I mean, the, the feedback is like really important. I think like this studio was like freaked out by me because <laughs> I was like, we need more feedback, and they're like, really? Like directors hate that. And I'm like, no, give it give it all to me. It's like I'll eat it like Pac Man. You know, it'll make put the notes story. in my veins. Uh, so, so yeah, it's like a little pills of feedback from, you know, eight-year-olds did like this joke or whatever. <laughs> but I mean, there's definitely an extent to that that can be sort of gross if you're like trying to, but really we just used it to test out our own. Like we would have screenings with uh, the, you know, just either people from the studio or like whoever we can grab that were like fresh eyes. And then, then you would get to test all of your assumptions. You were like, I think this is funny. Do you people think this is funny? And if they do, you win. And if they don't, you lose and you rewrite the joke. So, so it's like, and I, you know, speaking of Alex Hirsch, early on, especially, but throughout the whole movie, he was really one of the people that me and Jeff would turn to because, you know, it was, it was our first time doing the gig and and, you know, we were just like trying to figure it out. So we would send him scripts and screenings and that sort of thing. And he would sort of give us notes and 
talk and we'd, you know, do the notes and we'd talk amongst ourselves and we'd show it to people and we'd take that feedback in. So it was, it was a ton of feedback. And then when Chris Miller and Phil Lord came on, it was just, we got even more feedback because they are brilliant and they have a million great ideas. And they were just so great because they were like, look, we want to make the movie that you made better. We don't want to make a different movie. And that was really nice because, you, you know, who knows? Um, uh, and they were like, so wonderful. They were like a, a fairy tale, those guys. Like, it, it's ridiculous. It, it was like, you know, it was a, a dream that they even watched it. And then the fact that they like liked it and were like, can we be the executive producers on your movie? And I was like, yeah, Chris Miller and Phil Lord. Sure, of course. What are you, high? So, so, and, but then they, they sort of also are really into feedback and testing and trying and stuff like that. So it really was this like, kind of churn that I was really thankful that I'd come from TV from because we were able to all sort of all right let's try a different idea this scene doesn't work yet let's try different versions of it and then you just keep working every scene and hopefully it's like a centrifuge it's really kind of like evolution weirdly where it's like the bad ideas die and sort of get sloughed off you know and then the these sort of best ideas sort of rise to the top yeah, it's people forcing you not to be precious with your work. It sounds like, yeah. you know, just being like, nope, we got it. Let's keep going. We're just going to keep yeah, this train yeah. moving. From a stylistic perspective, did you always envision that sort of is pretty distinct visual style? Or is that, you know, from the beginning? Or are you just like, actually, this will work for this? No, it's, it's it was, I mean, it was sort of like, I, I, the thing I did, the part that I did was I wrote a box on a checkboard that says, make the movie look stylistically dazzling. <laughs> and then I just showed What it helpful feedback. <laughs> And then you hit the print button and then they, you know, the movie gets made. Yeah. Render done. Great. Wonderful. But no, but they were really wonderful. And it was such a night. It was such an awesome collaboration. Like that part of the job was so fun because everyone was so good. It was like Lindsay Olivares was our production designer. And we kind of had a similar aesthetic where we really loved imperfect things and, and familiar things. And we wanted everything to be really specific and observed. You know, Lindsay and I would like get really excited if we saw like pig statue in someone's house. Like, oh, dude, I remember those from when I was a kid. Let's put a weird pig statue in the Mitchell's house. And we're like high-fiving and excited. You know, like that's the kind of stuff that we get excited about. And then we sort of tried to take that ethos through the whole movie because it's like the movie is about flawed humans and all their imperfections. So we wanted all that flawed humanity on every frame because the computer wants to buff that stuff out. You right, know, smooth like edges, yeah. Million blades of grass and, and that sort of thing. And we're like, what if it's just green, you know? And, you know, what if this tree, instead of being this like perfect tree from like Mario 64 or whatever, is actually knobby and weird. And we really got excited about that. And it felt like it was going along with the theme of the movie because the movie is about these imperfect people and stuff. And that's kind of where it came from. And then we just sort of, for the robot side of things, we just did the opposite. Like if these are earth tones, this is really colorful and straight lines and everything's perfect and symmetrical. That makes sense. Switching gears a little bit. Mm -hmm. I saw you, I was doing my research for this and I was like, oh yes, I thought I had lost my mind in that Furbies would like laugh in the night and Uh and do stuff. (laughs) And so, you know, I I saw you mentioned something similar that that was the impetus for that scene potentially. And and my sister had one and I just remember it laughing from her closet in the night ones and being like, we have to kill it with fire. <laughs> this is the only like way to deal with this type of thing. But aside from those, maybe, what piece of technology do you think will cause your own personal downfall someday? Not society's necessarily, but your own uh, I mean, personal Achilles heel. Probably just Twitter or something. I do, I do think it's, you know, I've needed to 
sort of get on it more to get like be more involved in social media because you're promoting a film <laughs> yeah i was just trying yeah. to promote a movie and get people yeah. to like it and stuff and and sort of but the brain pathways like aren't closing you know yeah. <laughs> like, now that the movie's out i'm like so and i do think that stuff can be a little bit i do think you know because we try to show the good side and the bad side of technology but i really do think that there is a part of the there's a part of social media that is really insidious and and is just sort of hacking into our pleasure systems in a way that's like not bringing us happiness but we can't look away you know and i think that i do think that that is the thing that i worry about for myself just that i get a little bit addicted to that stuff and i'm kind of like it's designed that way and i think it goes back to your earlier point about you know, on, on like TV, you were getting instantaneous feedback almost, right? And like, that can be good and bad because at a certain point you're like, do you lose your own vision in it? Not to yeah. say that that's what happened, but people have an outlet to be like, hey, I'm going to tell you what I think, whether or not you want me to. Yeah. So, but on the good side, you know, it's also like, hey, it's allowing people to connect with people outside of Fred and Stimpy chat rooms. And, yeah. you know, it's like, yeah, you're going to have access to, yeah. Going a little broader with some of these questions. If you could go back 10 years and give yourself a piece of advice, what would it be? Oh, great. 10 years. I would be 26. I mean, I think that the thing that I would give advice to students and people that were in my shoes when I was 26 is that like, is that there's like two things. One is that like, basically I was so afraid to fail when I was in my twenties. Like that was, I was like, I would never show people my drawings. I would just hole away and squirrel away and be like, no, no, you can't see it. And you know, I'd make these whole comics and I'd never show it to anyone. And it was just like, once I realized that like, it was basically when I got rejected from CalArts the first time, I was like, oh, I got rejected and I didn't die. And maybe even I learned something and maybe I can reapply with those lessons in mind and maybe I'll get in this time. And I did. And that I really feel like unlocked this like key in my brain to be like, oh, failure is, is learning. That's all it is. And if you can, if you can fail really quickly, that's sort of why I like testing so much. You know, it's like, it's like, oh, I would love to fail privately with a bunch of people in Tucson who hate the movie and learn what they hated about it, fix it, work on it, work on it, show other people, work on it, you know, and then and then ultimately I failed like 600 times privately and hopefully we'll succeed when we actually have the movie out, you know, so. So that, that, that is like probably the biggest lesson. And then the other thing that's sort of attached is basically you, there's like, I used to let like kind of fear, which is going to sound like really kind of airy fairy, but I do believe in it. I used to sort of like, was, I was so afraid of things that it would paralyze me. And I'd be like, I can't apply to that school. Cause what if I get rejected? I'm just not going to do it. And I realized that if I put the fear behind me and shook hands with it and said, okay, we're friends here, you chase me. And then I sort of like let it power me from behind to say, oh, I don't want to fail. So I'm going to try as hard as I can um, and sort of let that power me to sort of do better than, than I, I have a, I don't know if it's healthy, but, but I have a better relationship with my fear now because it's sort of like, oh, put it back there, let it chase you. And, and hopefully you'll do better because you're trying to escape that feeling of fear as opposed to having it stop you from doing it. Sorry. Yeah. I mean, I, I personally subscribe to the same thing. Don't know if that's healthy either though. <laughs> <laughs> Can't speak to that. Other side of the coin, how do you define personal success now? 
I think I sort of would define it by, did you do the thing that you set out to do? And in this movie, I've been really bowled away, bowled over, and I don't want to sort of say that like, oh, it's a success or something. But I was re been really bowled over because the thing we were trying to do was connect with people and get people to connect with each other. And I was, I've been really touched that it's, you know, that people are watching it and crying and calling their parents and stuff like that. Like that was the, that's like, was the dream. Every once in a while, I'll get sort of people messaging me and be like, look, my little brother, you know, we're, we, my, our parents got divorced and I watched it with my little brother and he sent a long text to my dad and now they're talking again. And it's like, Aww. I'm about to start crying <laughs> <laughs> thinking about it. Yeah. Uh, but, um, but it's, it, I think it's, I started to find success as like, did you do the thing you set out to do? And luckily for some people, it's, a, you know, the, our plan of connecting people is working, which is what I think. Yeah, absolutely. What inspires you? I, I think the thing that inspires me is sort of doing something that's as genuine and authentic as possible in the newest way possible. And I also get inspired by both invention um and like trying new things and, and doing things that have, haven't been done before and trying you know because it's 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 easy to say let's do something new but you know oftentimes when you do it it's a disaster <laughs> so you're like oh that didn't work and then the other thing that inspires me is just like observing real life and, and getting excited about details like the pig like a pig statue or whatever um and being like oh that's so cool i had one of those growing up or like you know seeing a little kid wiping his nose with his shirt and something and be like, oh, we should put that in the movie. So it's just kind of like both observing real life and getting excited about portraying it in new ways, hopefully. Uh, flip side, what frustrates you? Oh, hey. Um, the thing that frustrates me is honestly is sort of, if, I, if the thing that inspires me is authentic, like trying to be genuine and authentic, the thing that drives me absolutely out of my mind with rage <laughs> is... It's just sort of people who don't have good, I don't know how to say it, but it's like, it's its just like kind of people operating in bad faith or something mm. like that, where it's like, and that could happen on the internet. It can happen, you know, at work or whatever, you know, where people are sort of like, they're not like thinking about the end result of what we're trying to do. They're just sort of thinking about their small part of it. And it's like, no, we're trying to, you know. There's a big picture here. Yeah, like yeah, we're trying to make people excited. We're trying to like generate love for the thing and they're like eh, that seems like a lot of work <laughs> <laughs> and and that 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 can sometimes frustrate me um, because I'm so like anything is possible you know if you can dream it you can do it you know very <laughs> easy and and sort of I, I want everyone to aspire to my cheesy uh, worldview and not everyone does and it frustrates me <laughs> so I mean being a leader how do you deal with maybe the lack of personal inspiration that some people might suffer through. And it's not to say that like they're not invested yeah, no, in it, but sometimes people are going through things like. Yeah, a hundred percent. And it's, it's, you know, I think you really have to be mindful of that. But I think, I think I, the way I try to deal with it always is just through sheer unbridled enthusiasm. I'm like, <laughs> wouldn't it be exciting if we did this? And then, you know, like. Big statues oh. for everyone. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And people are like, it might be, I don't know. <laughs> But, you know, I think, I think for the, you know, uh, you know, for the crew and stuff, it, 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 you know, I think people are excited to have someone who's excited, hopefully, um, because, you know, sometimes, sometimes people that it is kind of just a job. And I try to sort of say, 
you know, to anyone I'm talking to and sort of like with all my actions and stuff, like, like, it is a job, yes, but let's make it the greatest job we can do. You know, like let's be bold and, and excited and 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 have fun with it and and just try to like be so enthusiastic that people are like kind of can't help but be like, all right, buddy, fine. <laughs> you're trying to be infectious, is what you're saying. I think yeah. <laughs> probably not the right, right thing to say in a pandemic, but <laughs> I don't know how well it's working. <laughs> well, you got a movie done, you know, because I think you know, making a feature takes so long that if you aren't at least a little bit invested in it, you're going to be miserable for years. Yeah. Not you as the director, but you know, somebody who's somebody in rigging or lighting or something like that. Like you got to find something to glom on to. <laughs> what was the first movie you saw in theaters is my last question for you. Oh, that's a good question. Or the first movie you chose to see in theaters, not necessarily oh, okay. that you got that's taken fair. to. We'll go with that. I bet it was, you know what? I bet it was, um, I bet it was Ghostbusters 2. Ooh, good choice. Um, yeah. Or you know what? It I actually think it was Jurassic Park. Um, oh. And then I was terrified. <laughs> I was so, so excited. I I got all the books that were like, oh, Jurassic Park. Um, and then uh, and then when I watched it, I was just like, this is a nightmare. <laughs> but I liked it too, you know, it was uh -huh. like engaging, but I was like, uh, holding it aside. That's still how I feel about it because it's the best possible nightmare there is. Yeah, uh, aside from, you know, robot taking over the world, et cetera. <laughs> nightmare of Melly, throw my phone out the window. Well, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Congratulations on the movie. Uh, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. This is awesome. A huge thank you to Mike for joining. The Mitchells vs. the Machines is available now on Netflix. And if you liked this episode, we would love it if you could leave us a rating or a review or even consider subscribing.